You're not the bad guys. We are. And welcome to the Blood and Hunter Master Preview Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good Super Saturday, which I think we're hoping is going to be a Grand Slam Saturday for Ireland. Uh, it is the final round of the Six Nations 2023. It is Ireland versus England in the Viva Stadium. It is uh, a massive game for Irish rugby. And I think, you know, when you consider the stakes that are there this year, um, it's a really important year I suppose in the history of Irish rugby about what we have been for the last 30 40 years and what we might be for the next 10 20 um, this is a stage post along the way I think for Ireland coming into a World Cup year where we we, we are the favourites coming into the World Cup there's no escaping that I think you know that that's one of those things that you can you can try to talk down but I mean the reality is the reality and we have beaten every single team that we would be expected to beat on the road to a World Cup final and a victorious World Cup final in the last two years so to me there is no there is no dodging that pressure and it starts today it starts at five o'clock this afternoon Ireland against England and I, I think that there's a level of expectation that's there around Ireland now that, you know, I, I think that can't be escaped from either. But I don't think the players or the coaches are, are running from it. I, I think, you know, they're not necessarily jumping through hoops, talking, you know, talking that shit about what they're going to be doing and how they're going to win this game. But I think the, the general expectation of the public is that Ireland are going to go into this game and beat England and win a Grand Slam. And... The coaches and the players are well aware of that and they're not trying to kind of douse levels of pressure and expectation because that's going to be coming. I think you're going into a World Cup uh, later on this year. Ireland is favourites, you know, talking down chances and kind of trying to allay a bit of expectation is not going to work. And it's a, it's, it's a, I suppose it's a build. It's a journey to it. And a big important stop along the way is Ireland winning this game and winning a Grand Slam which was my expectation for them at the start of the season and that hasn't changed so I, I think that like the the moment that's here for Ireland is a big one and it it, it, it kind of sets up for Ireland to win a Grand Slam in the spring win a World Cup in the autumn and move Irish rugby into a new phase of of existence that it has not experienced over the last you know however long the Irish Rugby Union has existed um you look at the 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 opportunities that are there to kind of move rugby from one position in the eyes of the Irish sporting 
like public not like and again like rugby is a popular sport okay but it would still for me be behind uh hurling uh football and soccer so like for ireland to win a world cup that potentially moves rugby up a level which does so much for every part of rugby in this country so that to me is the stakes that are there but you'll never like you'll never take Ireland are the world champions away from this Irish side if they can do it and that I suppose that uh, level of achievement is historic and it's one of those things that um, you could only really dream about you know because I was thinking this week about like the journey that Irish rugby has been on not just over the last number of years but over the last 20 years uh, in the intro to the Wally ratings this week I or the Red Eye this week rather I wrote about um, Ireland versus England in Croke Park in 2007 um, my memories of that game are really like just really like it almost like it could have happened yesterday like I had been in Dublin the night before and I wasn't going to the game I was coming back down on the train so like I just everything from my morning to my trip down to getting back into the house I was renting in um, near UCC in Cork and sitting down to watch that game is just it's just mad I just remember the anthems I remember the game itself and like at the time like Ireland narrowly missed out on winning the Six Nations outright which again I think Ireland at that point probably deserved to do with the big change in circumstances that had happened from the year you know from 1999 to 2007 Ireland went from being Italy plus to being a team who could compete at the top which was at the time were very good um, English sides and very good French sides and that sort of advancement and that sort of change from what Ireland were in the 90s for the most part to what Ireland would become in the 2000s set the table for what we are now seeing in the 2020s like none of that is unconnected uh, there are like there there are tendrils from this team that go back to that team of the 2000s you look at you know Johnny Sexton you look at Keen Healy you look at Keith Earl still being involved as well Connor Murray as well as another guy who's close enough to that to that uh, generation that came through as well like none of that is unimportant all of that has a say in what Ireland are today so for Ireland to go and win a Grand Slam here is great look Ireland have won Grand Slams won one in 2009 won one again in 2018 uh, to win one now would be f- like fantastic like really really good like it's just one of those things that you can't ever throw your nose up at because Ireland were rubbish for long enough so winning any sort of Grand Slam is just a, a fantastic bit of work altogether and I'm not, not complaining about that at all but what Ireland have never done is won a World Cup every single World Cup that Ireland have been in we have en- exited at the quarterfinal stage at the most so for Ireland to go to a semi-final has no interest to me. For Ireland to go to a final has no interest to me unless we win that final. And that is what a group of players that Ireland have had that have come through in the 90s as younger players to become, you know, the senior guys of the 2000s to then be replaced by what would be a great core of players to take them from, you know, 2010, we'll say, to 2016, 2017, and then to push on with this team who've come up through Leinster mostly and get to that next level. None of what happens now 
happens without the foundations that have been laid before and the performance levels and the standards that have been driven. It's all based on the past. It's all based on anything you see today has its roots in things that were done years ago. And that's why it's so important for me, for Ireland to win a World Cup because you look at Paul O'Connell is, is included in the in the um, the Irish side or the Irish coaching team at the moment. Like he's a fellow who's been involved from, we'll say the early two thousands, right up to all of those teams. He has spread across all of them. What a story that would be to have that guy come in and to you know to be part of the coaching team that would win a World Cup. And I've had some people kind of go and look. Is it not? You talk about hubris, but is it not hubristic? to talk about Ireland in the in the, 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 the frame of winning a World Cup? Absolutely not for me. Look, I can accept that Ireland are the number one team in the world. I think that it is false humility, which is a sort of a weird sort of hubris all on, all on its own, to talk about Ireland and not say that they're the favourites to win the World Cup and should win a World Cup. I think that for me is like, that's sort of, I don't know, like that's the sort of fan thinking that for me, you would do if you were like a Leinster fan who didn't want to experience the pressure of having, you know, a mostly Leinster team go to a World Cup and to not win that in itself would be tough to take. You know, there'd be a lot of, of dissonance involved there. So I see a lot of people who are who are, who are asking me that are, are Leinster fans mainly. But for me, look, if Leinster are the team that everybody thinks they are and the Irish team who are, are as good as everybody thinks they are, then this Irish team should win a Grand Slam today and should then go and win a World Cup in the autumn. And that's that. And that's the expectation I have for this team. And I, I think that's a great place to be. We're standing on the shoulders of giants here. Like, the hard work is already being put in. We're not talking about Ireland in the 90s where everybody's just talking about maybe you get, maybe you get two wins in a Six Nations. Now we're talking about Grand Slams and we're talking about winning World Cups. We've won away in New Zealand. Who could have thought that would have happened? We've got a grand slam of beating Australia, New Zealand and South Africa in the same year. Like we've done it before, but you look at the, the, the performance levels from Ireland, you look at the praise that Ireland are getting from absolutely everywhere. We're not really used to that, but you have to embrace it. You have to embrace that tag of becoming, well, we are the favourites. We are the team that everybody is looking to tear down and we are the team that everybody is rooting to fail. And that for me is that next evolution of going from plucky underdogs to dark horses to ah you know we're just happy to be here you know to being yeah we want to win a world cup and we think we fucking can win a world cup and that is such a prize that it's kind of almost hard to put into words which is difficult for me because my job is putting things into words it's just a a a, a sort of a, a combination and a culmination i suppose of every bit of work every game every milestone that was checked along the way and it's a next step in that in that evolution of those guys who were taking it from one place to another to go from being Italy in 1999 the way people look at Italy in the mid 2000s or the mid the mid 2010s for example to go from that to go to being potential world champions in around 23 24 years and to be there to have seen it every single year year after year after year to have built that in itself for me is a huge deal and it's not enough for me for Ireland to break that quarter final duck if you want to call it that it's like that to me is meaningless Ireland you know breaking out you know getting going past the quarter final only to go to a semi-final and lose that meaningless to me means nothing it's getting to a final and winning it 
and that's where the big prize is but make no mistake this upcoming game against England here in the Aviva Stadium that is a checkpoint along the way we've had a lot of talk this past week about where England are at and where Ireland are at and there is this weird thing where like I don't know why I watch TV coverage of games anymore I don't know why the minute the final whistle stops that I just don't turn the game off and go do literally anything else listen to Spotify you know stare at my daughter I could do all of these things but instead I'm looking at the weird relish I saw on Virgin Media the other day after England had been just humiliated at home by um by France to really stick the boot in really like uh, with with a kind of a relish of like just how cutting can we be about English rugby at the moment and English rugby has problems for sure but like I look at games like that where that game got wildly out of hand for England where it just felt that they were in it for a time and then just the game collapsed on them and it happens it happens to to no, not to a point where you're losing 53-10 at home to France now France are very very good but I don't think England are that bad either um, I, I think over the last two years um, and this is partly why England have, have changed horses midstream that when you are very clearly building towards a World Cup where you have that focus of well we're going to sharpen everything up so that we're peaking on you know the, the first game of the World Cup and we're really peaking on the day of the World Cup final like this English team and, and lots, of the, lots, of the, lots of the players on it were in a World Cup final four years ago now they lost it so nobody cares but I don't think that that English side has turned to rubbish in the four years since I think what Eddie Jones did was is that once he had the job security of well look I'm going to be the next coach for the next four years and they had won Grand Slams like England had won Grand Slams I think they actually won a Six Nations directly after the World Cup like they were a good side and they have good players and we know that but like what Eddie Jones was trying to do I feel was what he likes to do like he, he has like recommended to a couple of different unions about like the, the hyper focusing on a World Cup he was trying to build that trying to build a way of playing that they would be comfortable with and build a bunch of players they would be comfortable with you know and plus to be fair he's had some unfortunate injuries and he's had some retirements that have really hurt him in a way that he has had to replace core physical parts of the English side with really untested players who aren't playing at a very high level domestically and that's led to a lot of chopping and changing and I, I think that when England made the decision to move on from Eddie Jones uh, after the November series and get in Steve Borthwick I think they assumed at that point there would be a bit of churn and I think that they accepted that but when you lose 53-10 at home to France in like in Le Crunch in the game that you know when I was coming up in the like in, in the you know late 90s and 2000s like that was the game that decided the Six Nations most years it was the big game that like it's called Le Crunch for a reason you know so like when I was looking at England getting beaten like that last week at Twickenham of all places I mean it's the kind of game that if you lose 53-10 in in Paris there's an element of separation there almost that you can kind of move on from that without there, there's going to be pain there's going to be criticism but not to the same level when you lose like that at home in Twickenham 
which is a record defeat to like again to France that in a way removes a lot of the well we're just trying to get something together for the World Cup and you know we're going to build on afterwards that Steve Borthwick and his team might have been thinking with because I think you know not that it was a shot to nothing this year but I think once people understood that Steve Bortwick was coming in late that he was bringing in his team late and that there would be churn and like they are missing a few players that who who would feature here like Courtney Laws is a big miss for them Tom Curry is a big miss Sam Underhill is a guy who's you know a big player for England over the years and he's just been consistently injured when you have that um you're kind of in a situation where you're going okay look well there'll be a team that'll be tricky at the World Cup and I think looking at their draw you might think look well they'll at least get to a quarter final at least they could make a semi-final anybody can win or lose one game so like the loss to France I think took away some of the medium term focus that they've had now I know Steve Borthwick has talked about that he's you know focusing on winning every game but you look at the combinations that they're bringing they're obviously trying to play a different style of rugby also I think that that's the sort of of result that brings the next game into a very, very sharp focus. Like, make no mistake, England have been absolutely fucking hammered all week in the press, in the podcasts, in the and radio segments. Like, they have been crucified. Like, I read an article there by Nick Easter yesterday where, like, he was basically kind of going, yeah, I was talking to some of the French guys and they just can't believe how soft England are. And I was talking to some of the Scottish guys and they were saying the same thing. Like, as an international forward, as part of that pack, that's the worst thing that anybody could ever say about you in a rugby context. You know, they could call you a bit of a silly boy and, and, a, and a goofy man. They could say that. That would be very hurtful. But saying that you're soft, that is very hard to live with for, especially look at a, a team like England, you know. So, like, that aspect of their of their week, I think I said it in a provincial state of mind earlier in, in the week, like, for Ireland, like, I think nobody would have been looking at that last week from an Irish perspective in the coaching setup and thinking that this was fantastic news for Ireland. Because what that sort of defeat does is it removes bullshit from your group it is like, like like I said in the red eye it kicks the airlock out and anything that isn't nailed down will get sucked out that sort of loss means that you have very difficult conversations with the guys who were there and you try to I suppose drill down into what it means to represent England and what it means then also to lose for England like that and the shame that that brings like that's something that they'll be feeling a lot this week is 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 shame and when i'm thinking about cl- playing a team and like especially in a game like this where ireland have a, f- a good few injuries coming into it as well with a grand slam to win i'm looking at it and i'm thinking i ideally would not be playing a team who were recently shamed to that level I would not be thinking that's something that I would ideally go for if I had my own way in this. Um, so that, for me, is a bit of a danger for, for Ireland today. Now, England have made a good few changes. They brought in, well, they brought in a few guys who I think make them a better side and make them more capable of, of beating Ireland in this game. Because for, for Ireland, this is a final. Ireland have been kind of building this adversity thing and 
you look at a Grand Slam as being a sort of a run to a World Cup final where you, every game is a knockout game. It's been quite good in that regard. This is a knockout game where Ireland will either win a Grand Slam or we won't. And like if Ireland were to lose this game with France really, you know, close in the bushes also, there's a possibility that Ireland could actually just lose everything and not even win the Six Nations today. That's a possibility. Because like if Ireland were to lose this game and, and, and France win, you know, significantly, they get a bonus point, they could nick this. And that's got to be in the back of Ireland's mind also, where this is far from a slam dunk. You know, I think that you could make the mistake that England are a wounded animal and Ireland are going to put them out of their misery. But I think the thing about wounded animals is, is that they've got a lot of fight before you have to put them down. And that's something where like Ireland would be looking here and going, there's danger here with this English team. And I think, like, looking into England this week, they just seem like a team who have really strong fundamentals in their game. Like, looking at their, at their, like, at their breakdown of their stats, best line-out, best scrum, really dominant defense, they put a lot of dominant hits in, um, they have the best, uh, they have the least number of um, 22 entries conceded, they have the best discipline in the Six Nations, they are not a team who should be in the discussions that people have been having them with over the last number of weeks. And I suppose since they lost to Scotland. They're better than than what their results have been showing, I think. The problem is, is that offensively, they're really underperforming their metrics. They're really underperforming them. They're not creating a ton of line breaks. They're not scoring a whole ton of tries. Um, their turnover rate, their handling errors, their their knock-ons that they're conceding are killers for them. But the biggest thing is their discipline. Like, their discipline is the best in the Six Nations, except when it comes to the Rock, which is the biggest place that they concede their, like, that, that they concede their tries. And they mostly concede their, their, their tries in the opposition half of the field. So that's either... Um, transition penalties where you're trying to you know poach at the breakdown you concede a penalty or you're conceding offensive penalties England have conceded a fair few of those over the games that I've watched where that it, they've completely undermined um, like attacking sequences that have been in flow and like you look like shit when you can't run your breakdown effectively in England like they have not been running a very quick breakdown, relatively speaking. Um, certainly compared to the likes of Ireland, they have not been accurate enough there as well. They're running under 95% for the entire tournament. So, like, typically you would look at your line, your your rock retention rate being, like, 95% is the lower limit. Like, you want to be at least that. They're running under that for the entire season so far in the Six Nations. That'll give you an idea as to what their issues are. But we at Munster know that when you are trying something different and you're moving to a different stage of a game and you're 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 trying to play a different way one of the first things that will pop up is your um breakdown not working because you're not hitting breakdowns in the same place that you would have been a couple of months previous especially in a kind of a low cohesion environment like a test camp for most teams that can lead to fairly shocking results and like Munster managed to turn it around in two months, but that's with a team that's training every day together for the two months <laughs> um, and, and the time before that. England don't have that. So I think what England have kind of been guilty about doing is almost wanting to do both, where they've got very strong fundamentals to their game, strong, like best line out in the tournament, best scrum retention in the tournament, um, like 
they kick longer than anybody else, they kick more than anybody else. That in itself is a generally good predictor for winning rugby games, bar any time since 2021, <laughs> right? Before that, a team who kicks long, who kicks often, who's got a generally good defence, they like they generally do have a good defence, they win a generally good amount, number of turnovers. Um, they then are in a position where, like, well, if you've got a good scrum, you've got a good line out that pe- teams can't really get near to, and like they're hitting like the the middle and the back and the tail really well uh, with their line out so far this year. Like that's the sort of thing that typically you see in a winning rugby team, but for England they're not. So like, so why not? Like again, there's a lot of handling errors. The breakdown is a big issue as well. But when I've watched England play, it seems that they have trouble to me getting over the gain line and like you look at their overall numbers it would seem that they don't where they're I think 54% of all their collisions this year have been going forward which is second in the six nations behind Italy or uh, France we don't think that France have an issue physically but England who have more dominant tackles than anybody who get over the gain line as much as anybody bar France they are the ones who people are saying that, well, they've got an issue physically. I'm not sure if that's true. I think that their attacking system that they've been working is putting them in a position to look weak and to look like they are not physical enough uh, for, for Test Rugby in the Six Nations. But I think that that can be tweaked. And I think that it can be tweaked with personnel, first of all, but also with your approach to the game, a really limited approach. I think for England, it's actually pretty good for them this week that they're away from home because, like again, you look at some of the, the criticism. I think they're in a, at a point now where they're quite reactive in English rugby, where you get the criticism from the podcast and you're getting the criticism from the fans about wanting to play a certain way but also wanting to win. Um, that causes pressure on players and it causes pressure on coaches. And I think that you look at some of the drama that's been there with... Um, you know, with Marcus Smith, with uh, Owen Farrell. Like, for me, like, I don't see any reason why England should be moving away from um, Owen Farrell as the 10 that they have running. I think he's better than Marcus Smith. Marcus Smith's a good player, but I think just when you look at tested guys at, at, at test level, guys who were proven, that's Owen Farrell. And I think that with the midfield that they have, and that's that's been a problem for England over the last number of years, I think over the last couple of years, like when they haven't been without Manitoulagi, they have looked like they've been patched together their midfields, and I think what they've selected here, which again we'll be going to their team there now in a second. They're they're ten, twelve, thirteen here. I like the look of Owen Farrell, Manitoulagi, Henry Slade. That makes sense to me. That gives them weapons that they can le- that they can use simply. It gives them a guy who can force compressions in Manitoulagi. Uh, in Henry Slade, they've got a good passer. They've got a good kicking option that they can use as well, and that makes sense. I think some of the some of the midfields they've put together over the last while, they haven't suited. Like last week against France, when I looked at um, when I look at Jack Van Portfleet, uh, Port Portfleet, and I look at uh, Marcus Smith starting at nine and ten, I'm seeing a kind of a a, a slower, more kick dominant nine starting with a guy who needs to be running on quick ball all the time and that to me doesn't make sense that doesn't jive with me like jive <laughs> but you know what I mean like it looks like you're it's a bit like playing um, Conor Murray with Joey Carberry or it's like playing like you wouldn't put a 
a guy who's got a slower action at the breakdown with a guy like Marcus Smith. Whenever Marcus Smith had looked really good at, at Harlequins, they're obviously playing with a lot of pace and a lot of tempo. I think England are trying to get that. They brought in Nick Evans as their attack coach. So they're trying to get a little bit of um, Leicester's kicking game and set-piece game mixed with Harlequin's, Harlequin's attack and, and uh, you know transition game, which is admirable, I suppose. But at the same time, it's very difficult to implement because both of those games, I think, they conflict with each other. So when I see today that they've gone with Jack Van Portfleet and they've got with Owen Farrell at 9 and 10 that makes way more sense to me because Owen Farrell is for me one of the best players in the world he's a guy who has been performing at an incredibly high level for many many years now he hasn't been I wouldn't say he's been great the last year with England but you look at the body of work he's put down as a player since he's first broke on the scene like that's a top class player a top end player so like I, I would go with him at 10 most of the time and have Marcus Smith on the bench and give him those 20 minutes at the end of games. If you want to move on Farrell to 12, you can do that as well, which they may do here and move uh, Tulagi out to 13. They could they could do that easily. But when I'm looking at this at this English team, that makes more sense to me. That build from 9, 10, 12, 13 makes way more sense to me. Um, in the back three, they've got Freddie Stewart, Anthony Watson and Harry, uh, Henry Arundel. Um, he, if you've not heard of this guy, is lightning. He has scored some unbelievable tries for London Irish. He was looked unbelievable for the English under-20s, I think it was, was it last year or the year before. He is like a bit like Cheslin Colby when you look at the sort of pace and evasion that he's able to play with. Um, I look at this and I look at their back three and I, when I see Henry Arundel coming in, I think this is a unit that are that England are bringing in to make it difficult for Ireland who play counter transition rugby Ireland will kick to set up our high passing phases when you watch these games it doesn't show up in the stats but when you watch these games you see what Ireland do they kick long to you you kick back to them they will assess on the kickback what the next play is and they're very good at making that decision once they make that play, sometimes it'll be a kick return back to try and just uh, move you around and get a better look. You will either kick it off the field, in which case Ireland will get possession further up the field from when we had it in the first place, or you will kick it back and then Ireland will go into a, into a, into a counter transition, which is we have baited you into giving us transition ball. Ireland will then go into phase play and are very, very dangerous in those phases of play and score a lot of tries from those. What England have done with this back three that they've selected uh, on top of their midfield actually because Henry uh, Henry Slade is a guy who fits into this also um, they have guys here who when Ireland kick to England England will be in a position to have weapons that can really hurt Ireland and this is where Ireland's transition defence is going to come under massive pressure can we shut down Henry Arundel can we shut down Anthony Watson who look is not the Anthony Watson who was tearing up for the Lions in 2017 I want to say but is a guy who I think is still really talented. Freddie Stewart is rock solid under the high ball most of the time. He's six foot five. He's a great athlete. Um, he wins collisions for them. He carries the ball a lot more than anybody in Six Nations. Actually, he actually overtook uh, Finn Russell last week. Finn Russell was the guy who carried the most in the Six Nations. Now it is Freddie Stewart. Um, so he's a guy who gives them that. He can force compressions uh, on his own because he's. I mean, he's huge. Um, and on transition, that's going to be a big factor in this game. How England manage that and 
basically what that does to Ireland's tendencies. Will we kick as much? That's going to be the question. But I think with Owen Farrell, for the most part, he will give England a platform where he will not have any issue whatsoever in kicking deep, in playing really conservative, of looking to try and take the sting out of the crowd and take the sting out of Ireland's early momentum. That's going to be a big aim for England here. And I wouldn't have any other guy. If I was trying to game plan against Ireland, I'd have no other guy except Owen Farrell there, to be honest. Um, in the pack, this is where these guys need a big game. Ellis Genge, Jamie George, Kyle Sinclair, Marla Toji, and David Ribbons in the second row. David Ribbons plays for Northampton Saints. We got a good look at him uh, against uh, Munster a couple of months back. A decent player, but I don't know, I don't know, proven at this level. He's got a little bit to show yet. In the back row, they've got Lewis Ludlam, Jack Willis, and uh, Alex Dombrandt. I missed my opportunity there to go Jacques Willis, but he is, um, and I think that, that, that back row, there's elements there that can hurt England. They're kind of mirroring mirroring us a small bit. Like Lewis Ludlam, heavy combo flanker. He's got good line-out involvement, uh, a really impactful defender. He hits his breakdowns inaccurately sometimes. That's, a, that's an issue in his game. But you look at Jack Willis, a different sort of open side to um, to, to Josh van der Fleer, which is why I, I, I created role sets. Like He has elements of like a heavy poacher, um, he has elements of a sort of combo flanker as well, but his primary um, combo skill is his defensive breakdown work, which, when he's on, changes the course of games. And then you have Alex Dombrandt, who came under a lot of criticism last week. He is a good player. Um, physically needs to show up today, though. Like He's, he's a big guy, big boy, wins collisions. Um, but so far I haven't seen a massive statement performance from him at test level this is the sort of this is the environment for him to do it and that's going to be the big challenge for England is can they get him on ball and can he get on ball do you know like it's one thing for the team to scheme you there but you've got to show up and start winning your collisions also I remember he was getting crucified last week I think it was by uh, like Dewey Morris or somebody on, on English TV anyway because he lost a collision off the back of a, a scrum launch into into the French fucking midfield and then later they're, they're flankers which is again no easy fucking going but at the same time needs a reaction you know he, he needs to have a big physical reaction in this game put himself about and uh, like, look if you won't have motivation to do it after the week that they've had you'll never have it so that's going to be a big challenge for him this week. On the bench, they have Jack Walker, Mako Vunapola, Dan Cole, uh, Nick Ezekwe, Ben Curry, Alex Mitchell, Marcus Smith and Joe Marchant. Looking at the English scrum, they really hurt Ireland last year in Twickenham, but it didn't matter. They were down to 14 men, but they still really impacted the Irish scrum and it's kept Ireland out of the game and, and put us under big pressure until I think Ireland broke away in the last 20 minutes of that one uh, to win it in Twickenham but like looking at um, what they did in the scrum they will be thinking there's no reason why they shouldn't do that again this year Ireland's scrum is as vulnerable as it was last year like it has not been penalised up to this point um, which again is just one of those things I think it's one of the I think it's a, it's the style of the modern game really where they're moving away from the scrum as being a big defining factor in most games um, 
but if they can get purchase in that um that could make this game very very difficult and really add a bit of a bonus to their kicking game also um but you have to get the calls and whether or not they will i think it just comes down to the referee in the day um uh, jacko paper does tend to give scrum penalties at test level um a little bit more than luke pierce last year or last week um but i'm not sure any team in the world at the moment should be thinking yeah we've got this these guys in the scrum that's going to win the game for us it's not that game anymore it really isn't but it could be something that england use to put real pressure on ireland early on and, and just gain momentum like again for england like you're thinking th- this game like they, all they have to do is come in and be spoilers that's it they just have to come in and spoil and there's no real pressure on them to play too much rugby here for me if i'm steve borthwick i'm playing heavy kick pressure here kick the fucking letter off the ball when we have settled possession if you're england you go one two three phases you kick most of the ball you get on turnover put pressure on ireland in the backfield make ireland play and from there look to hit him in the scrum look to lock them out in the line out and from there just see what happens kick your goals um yeah it's going to be very interesting in that regard because again like england have been shamed in the last week and they're coming over here and everybody's thinking you're going to get fucking pumped that's a strong motivator for teams so we'll see how they go um, i'd be very surprised anyway if it, if it was a similar scoreline to last week very very surprised but ireland have a team here this team that's set to go and look to try and win a grand slam back three hugo keenan mac hansen james Lowe, midfield robbie henshaw bundy Aki. At halfback, Johnny Sexton and Jemison Gibson Park returned to uh, the starting uh, 15 on the bench, or starting in the forwards, Andrew Porter, Dan Sheen and Ty Furlong, with Ryan Baird and uh, James Ryan in the second row, Peter Manny, Josh van der Fleer and Caelan Doris in the back row. Caelan Doris uh, passed fit this week after going off injured against Scotland. Same for Dan Sheen, although with Dan Sheen, there was talk about like that, he, that he'd hurt his shoulder. That's something to watch in this game as well. Um, there's going to, the violence is going to be off the charts in this game like if you're England after the week you've had you are going to be putting markers down or trying to at least for Ireland Ireland have to be fucking aware of that early on and go we're not getting caught by these guys physically not going to happen in the Aviva Stadium not going to happen in Dublin we're going to fucking kick the shit out of these guys that's that's that like that's the that, that's the attitude Ireland have to take coming into this is that like England are looking to put a marker down but we'll have our marker down first and like Andrew Porter for me is the most important guy in that pack right now he is the best part of most of the things Ireland do in phase play right which is the majority of the game line out he's fantastic there as well the scrum could be an issue that's where you mitigate him but you've got to be able to do it and can Ireland do it that's the question I mean uh, if you're if you're England rather can you can you hurt Ireland in the scrum maybe but is it enough to hurt Ireland usually not um he is a core part of it and dan sheen as well like there is a few worries like about dan sheen and caelan doris how fit are they um what kind of you know and the same goes with sexton actually like what type of condition are these guys in coming into this game um but they've been past fit you just have to go with it like the big thing for ireland is transition defense here we'll want to stick with the same game that we were playing the entire time uh and look the guys we're missing we're missing like you know a, a fair bit of depth and we're missing like ian henderson for a start is a guy who's a big miss uh ryan baird is stepping in that 
puts more physical pressure on James Ryan to do what Ian Henderson has been doing over the last number of games that has meant and I think it's a real no coincidence rather that James Ryan the uptick in performance he's had is when Ian Henderson has come in and basically been playing the tight head lock role that's allowed James Ryan to play and have more involvement and have more impact Um, I still don't think he's been playing fantastically well but he's been more prominent this week in this game uh, James Ryan is going to have to slot back into a heavier role that will leave Ryan Baird who I think is a fabulous athlete to go and play a sort of a looser role and I think that Ireland will want to be on ball like I think England will want to be off ball Ireland want to be on ball so that's a good fit there but for, for Ryan Baird in particular to get him on ball as a ball carrier he's very very impactful there um, and with Caelan Doris we'll have to watch his just his involvements I'm not sure we, we, we'll see early on how often he's involved but I think he'll go with that power forward role in this game as well and just try and impose himself on the English defence but They've got a lot of guys there who are big heavy hitters and that's going to be a, a key confrontation point for, for Ireland is that how we manage those initial off-ball, on-ball sequences because we want the ball. England, I think, will want to go off-ball. They have the most dominant tackles of any team in the Six Nations so far. There's a bit of a... There's a, a potential there for fireworks, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, you look at the... the I mean, no surprise there with Ryan Baird. Like, I mean, he's the guy who came off the bench last week, played really well. No surprise he's there. People are talking about, oh, will Kieran Treadwell start or whatever else? Nah, Ryan Baird was always going to start this. But you look at Kieran Treadwell, I think he may be the guy who will, who, who will come on for Ryan Baird, depending on how the game goes, um, to allow James Ryan to play the kind of the, the lighter role I think he excels in. But that's going to be a, a not an area for worry for Ireland, but it's going to be something to watch just to see how that combination goes. Um, on the bench, Rob Herring, Keen Healy, Tom O'Toole. Um, not the most powerful, impactful bench, you must say, but I think with Rob Herring, never lets Ireland down, never lets Ulster down. Keen Healy, I think he showed last week his importance to the squad, but physically around the field, um, I think we probably won't see him for at least the 65th minute then you might see him coming on after that but if Ireland are, if the score is close you won't see Andrew Porter off the field I don't think um, Kieran Treadwell Jack Conan Conor Murray and Ross Byrne with Jimmy O'Brien running out the back as well fabulous player so you look at the the group that Ireland have here a lot of injuries but I think Ireland's biggest strength is in that management of the kicking game um, you look at how well Mac Hansen uh, James Lowe and Hugo Keenan have been playing as a unit arguably the best back three unit in the world at the moment um, really well balanced Hugo Keenan is just balances everything because there's nothing he doesn't do really well um, that's going to be a key part of this game because England will kick long they will kick a lot and with that accepted your back three plays a large part in how you respond to that Keenan has been very very good in getting away on transition so he will get really high up the field on the return when Ireland are looking to do that but he's also got a good passing game like not as a playmaker but as in literally passing can you make that pass 10 metres 15 metres to James Lowe or Mac Hansen and allow them to make plays yes he can and that's the the big factor in Ireland's transition game is that Hugo Keenan allows us to do a lot so with that um we will have to get 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 away from England's press. They're going to press us on transition, and if we can escape that, we will hurt them. Like 
England have a good defense and they've got a good scramble defense, but they've got the worst red zone defense of any team in the Six Nations. They concede a ton of tries of close range lineouts, of close range tap and goes. So that's going to be a big factor here is like making our physicality count. Now, Itoji is a guy who's come in for a lot of criticism over the last number of, 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 of weeks. I think I've mentioned this before, but there's been a few new newspaper articles critiquing him that he's not impacting games to the same level. If England are playing off-ball on this game, if Mario Itoji has a big game, that's something that will be a factor for, for Ireland to have to overcome uh, because they just need, need Dave Ribbons to be a big physical kind of touchstone for them to allow Mario Itoji to do what he does uh, on the defensive side of the ball. It depends on England's approach. If they're thinking they're going to come here and play like Harlequins and win, they may look. They may play like Harlequins in small segments of this game. But if they're not coming here to play an off-ball game, that puts a lot of emphasis on their transition defence. This could be a long game for England. Their biggest issue is overplaying the ball, making a ton of knock-ons. Their attacking system is not fully developed. They have no. They have no cohesion there. How could they? Like. For England, they have to go off-ball. They have to attack Ireland's... Basically, the fuel that Ireland's game runs on, which is counter-transition. And when I see the selection that they've done, I think they understand how Ireland win the game. And in that regard, if they're able to do what they are planning, this game could get very sticky, very difficult. But doing it is another thing. That's the thing. Like I think they have a plan, but Ireland have shown really good adaption. Like people like Stuart Hogg at the weekend made a really poor mistake in that he made the typical read that you would make about Ireland that everything goes through Johnny Sexton and it led to a try being conceded um, everything does not go through Johnny Sexton anymore for Ireland um, James Lowe Mac Hansen are key playmakers for this group um, they will slot in off their wing they will step in as first receiver um, they will run as screened runners as well Sexton makes decisions and he makes tactical calls on field and executes them incredibly well with a really high level of accuracy that's been the core part of what Ireland have done well is that we've reduced Sexton's on ball involvements when Sexton gets on ball more Ireland are worse off for it Um, so if Ireland can keep the counter transition game going that allows Johnny Sexton to not be on ball that much but that only exists in a, in, in, a, in a world where Ireland aren't chasing the game. For England, their big, big weakness this week, this, like this season, has been conceding line breaks and tries directly from the set piece. They will think that if they can shore that area of the game up, that this should be very, very tight. And that's what they'll be thinking. All we have to do is get rid of the stuff that's been killing us. And once we do that, who knows? Uh, for Ireland a performance even close to last week against uh, against uh, Scotland in the first half we will lose Ireland have to return to that level that we did that we were against France I think to fully put England away here because England, England are going to be coming in pissed off they're going to be coming in I imagine with a limited enough game plan that's looking to basically fill in the negative space that Ireland tick, like that Ireland typically exploit in teams and if they make it so that they're not conceding momentum killing errors from their own possession um, this game could be very tight and they may put that uh, marker down to Ireland can you break us down and that's going to be the question if we can it'll be a grand slam and it'll be 
the third Grand Slam that I would have seen in my lifetime. And that is something very special. And I think it's, with this team, like, it's hard to love a team full of Leinster players like this. <laughs> it is. I'll, I'll just be, I'll, I'll be real with you. It is. But last week against um, against Scotland, uh, seeing the way that they came through that, uh, Josh van der Fleer, how nice he seems. Um, even Johnny Sexton, over the last couple of months, has looked more vulnerable. He's looked, you know, just like the fella I remember shouting in Ronald O'Gara's face in 2009 and looked like a guy who kind of sees the end of the road coming and wants to go out with everything that he game planned for himself along the way he has almost all of them the only thing he's missing is a world cup he's done everything else and seeing a guy being aware of that and knowing the end of the road is coming like he should break Ronan O'Gara's six nation record in this game um, and I think he understands the jeopardy as well that he's playing with whereas the things that he they wouldn't have even kept him out uh, for the next game five years ago and now keeping him out for two months dead legs bangs in the arm like bags and bangs in general are, are, are putting him out now so I think I see a guy who's aware that the end of his playing career is right around the corner and could be at any moment I know every player deals with that because of the nature of the game but with Johnny Sexton I think he sees that coming and that's a scary place to be and you know when I see him getting you know tearing up and emotional at the the anthems in the French game I think I saw a different type of Johnny Sexton than what I kind of had have typically seen and that in itself is kind of worth rooting for do you know what I mean where like I, I see these guys and I, I always want Ireland to win it's just about do I want them to win all week or am I only in at the anthems I'm in before the anthems no uh, like to, to win this Grand Slam like would just be great for rugby in the country after the momentum that's there um, it's going to be great for me personally but like I, I look at them and I think you know, yeah, like, yeah they are a lot of Leinster players but like they're as Irish as you or me and I think that when you see the I suppose the hype that's there like sometimes you kind of end up personifying media hype and you know guys going over the top I mean a lot of old shit talk this week but that's not the players like the players are like are good guys and guys worth rooting for so like when I look at that I kind of want to see these guys get to that halfway mark win that slam and then let's talk about a World Cup I mean, if playing Leinster before after that and before that try and beat shit out of them do whatever you want but for here I think just to honour what came before with such a big year for Irish rugby that this is I wanted to win that Grand Slam and I think my worry is that England are not the soft touch that people assume they are but Ireland are the best team in the world at the moment and who I would back to break down anybody and yeah there are injuries I think they're, they're important injuries but there's quality players there if Ireland play to our best frankly in this game we win this game and we win a Grand Slam um, but that's the challenge to go out there and do it the expectation is through the roof through the roof and that's going to be a big factor here but I hope they do it and I think that like for me like the, the 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 special of seeing that with my with my daughter today, like 
you should be sitting down next to me watching this I had to wait 26, 27 years to see Ireland win a Grand Slam she might see it after seven weeks <laughs> after six weeks of her life so like that's the thing it's uh, it's 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 emotional for me in that regard because I kind of want I want to see him do it and like my worry is just looking at it technically just like that England just have strong fundamentals they're just not playing very well at the moment and then that brings me to the last time that we were talking about this it was actually Ireland who were the team who had strong fundamentals but who just weren't playing very well at the moment until they turned it all around by beating England in the Aviva Stadium and my worry is is that the inverse of that happens today at the worst possible time because my natural predisposition is for woe so that's my worry coming in but my hope is that they win that they push on that they make it relatively stress free and win that Grand Slam and, and that for me is would be the perfect end to my expectations for this team for this part of the season and um, yeah I just hope they do it and, and I hope you enjoy the game wherever you are uh, if you have any questions or comments for the TRK uh, radio coming up or for the 5 Star Podcast do send them in to me at info and I will read them out on the podcast to come or on the live stream depending on what you want so thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber enjoy Super Saturday hopefully Ireland win a Grand Slam I'll talk to you again very very soon 